tremendous amount of experience, strength, and hope, leading the ones behind, holding on to the ones in the front, and recovery is given. The obsession, the compulsion leaves, and happiness becomes a part of our life. To have at our disposal the type of experience, strength, and hope that we're going to hear today and not use it would be a real travesty and certainly a tragedy. We will not miss the opportunity to take advantage of that presence. I've always found it interesting. I'm sure that she has kept it obviously within the perspective, but the initials of G.O.D. have always intrigued me. <laughs> and uh, they're just so powerful to me. I asked her this morning, what would you like for me to say about you? And she said, you can say whatever you want to about me. I'm going to say anything I want to. And I, knowing Ms. D is, I've come to know her, that's exactly what's going to happen. Uh, she, uh, she says, also tell them I'm 80 years old. I've worked 60 years and I haven't found it necessary to take a drink for 40 years. All right. The final thing that I really feel is so significant, something she's proud of, and boy, I tell you, I'm proud she's got it, is I would like to introduce you for our spiritual closing this morning to Grambo. <laughs> If you don't think I'm Grambo, come to visit me. <laughs> Grambo goes on a strafing mission. I certainly am not on a strafing mission this morning. I'm on a gratitude trip if I have ever had one. You know, in the early days of IDAA, I was always at their throat about something. And this meeting has been the best straight-A meeting that I've been to in years. One of the things that bothers me is that so many of the groups are getting away from the principles that were set down by the early people. I'm one of the one lucky ones. I do know my name, and I'm an alcoholic, and I'm a drug addict. And I don't mind telling anybody I'm a drug addict, now or ever. And when I hear some of the, quote, old-timers, 15, 20 years sober, <laughs> Say, we don't want druggies in our group. I said, I hope your grandchildren are turned away from AA and you fall to your knees and beg God to forgive you for turning away those who need help. I was around AA seven years before I got 40 years of sobriety. You see, I had a problem in my life. I had a moral leper brother who drank too much. Oh, he was a sad man. And, uh, of course, I had nerves. 
I was in 26 hospitals with 26 different psychiatrists all over the country, but they were smart. They said I was overworked, and I was because I was so afraid somebody would find out what I was doing, and I worked like a dog, and everything had to be perfect. And I got the credit, and then I drank the gallon in my room afterwards. You see, I'd started on phenobarbital when I was a, a teenager because it had just come on the market, and it was going to be sort of like vitamins, going to cure everything in the world. You went around with it in your pocket, and you threw in a few in case you got nervous. And I was nervous all the time. I was a nervous little child and a nervous medium-sized child and a nervous... Um, teenager and I'm a nervous old woman uh, because I'm nervous this morning and all I could think of is I said to a friend of mine I'm so nervous I don't know what to do how am I get over it he said look at the front row and think how funny they'd all look in red long red underwear and Conway would look terrible Long red underwear would not become you. Uh, but it, when, as I sat there, I began to laugh and think of this old bishop. And he wasn't an alcoholic, and he was just as nervous as I was, and he was shaking. And uh, I said, oh, Father John, will I never get over being so nervous? He said, I don't know, I can hardly eat. And I said, what do you do about it? He said, you know, your opening sentence and your closing sentence, and the Lord put something in between. I said, uh, what's your opening sentence? He said, with you, it better be your name, Jerry. And he said, your closing sentence better be, thank you very much, and, and then sit down. So I could do that right now if I wanted to, but I won't. I, when I've got a captive audience like this, it's too much of a temptation to keep you here all day. Uh, seriously, I have enjoyed this uh, meeting. It's been wonderful. I didn't want to come to AA I didn't want to be an AA, but the anonymity in those days wasn't as strict as it is now, believe it or not. They wanted people to have help, and they weren't fussy about you knowing their name and their address and their telephone number if they thought they could help. I urge you to be a little that way, too. My brother was a a real drunk, and uh, I didn't know what to do with him. So I called a child psychiatrist. I always thought that was appropriate. Not a psychiatrist, a child psychiatrist. Dr. James Plant, who lived in Newark, the only child psychiatrist on the eastern seaboard at the time, and I said, Jim, what do I do with this moral leper brother of mine who drinks too much? He said, I don't know, Jerry. Now, wait a minute said there was a guy in New York at the Medical Society the other night, and he's talking about something funny that they do with men who drink too much. Not women, understand. Men who drink too much. And uh, he didn't know at that time that behind every successful man is a stronger woman. I hope you know that. (laughs) But he talked about the men who drank too much. He said he gave me his card. I'll call him up. And he called our beloved Bill, and Bill and two guys went out to Maplewood, New Jersey, to see my brother. And he would be sober, were he alive now, 
47 years. And they took me to AA, and it was a nice little organization for those stupid people. Uh, but I had brains, you see. You don't understand why they had a cake in the shape of a bottle one time and had three feathers sticking out of it. <laughs> you know, they say there is a, a level below which God will not let us go. But he certainly let me practice a long time. And my beloved doctor friends bailed me out and lied to each other. And they weren't helping, but they thought they were. And many people have tried to help all of you. Maybe they have done the wrong thing, but remember, they do it for the right reason. Your spouses, your children, your friends, your doctors, all sorts of people. But there has to come a time when we're ready. I was unconscious from an overdose ten days in San Francisco. And laughed in their face and said, you can't kill the Irish. Left the hospital and was drunk in three hours. Yet when I came to AA, I insisted that I was not insane. I was perfectly normal, you know that. Time went by, and I ended up one morning. I don't know about you, but I used to check out the ceiling to be sure I was home. Uh, because I had blackouts from the day one. And uh, I looked at the ceiling, and mine didn't have a string with a light bulb on the end of it. Um, mine uh, didn't look like that. There was a little bulb on the end of it. And I looked to the right, and there were bars on the window. And to the left, and as one of our dear friends says, uh, the architect was a little dumb, no doorknobs, peephole in the door. And I'm bright. Understand this. It's my brain. I knew where I was. I was in the nut house, and that's right where I was. And I had a change. I had a spiritual awakening like hell I did. I, I wanted to get out of there. Now, you can call that any kind of an awakening you want to, but I don't care call it spiritual. But the miracles did start to happen right then in my life. And I was too dumb to know that it was God interceding at a time when he knew I could go no further. My brother showed up, and he had learned a lesson that I hope all of you will learn. Because many of you are going to have alcoholics in your family. And he looked at me and he said, Honey, you've made a pretty lousy mess out of your life. Do you want to do something about it? And I did, but I didn't want to go out with that bunch of holy rollers that he was going with. He prayed all the time. But being the liar that I was, I said yes. And uh, he said, I love you too much to be objective. I can't help you. And my heart went right down to my feet. My last hope. And seemed like an eternity before he said, but I will get someone. And he did. He took me back east and he got somebody. And they rode herd on me. And they kept on my back. And let me tell you something, the combination of drugs and alcohol that I took, uh, everybody thought I was all right except me. And guess who else? 
the recovering alcoholics said that sister of Oscar's may be a nice girl, but she's got a screw loose. And that was a year after I stopped. But never at any time, though I lived in his home, did my brother answer one question. He'd say, ask Helen. You know, that was the brightest thing he ever did, because he could have said the same thing she did, and I wouldn't have listened. Right from the beginning, I had a lot of trouble with the spiritual part of the program, is what I called it. Let me tell you something. This is a spiritual program. The last part of the 12 steps says, and practice these principles in all our affairs. What principles are they talking about? They're talking about the will of the God of our understanding. They're not talking about dogma. They're talking about the spiritual program, which is a group of standards that you live by, hoping that the God of your understanding will accept you. But I didn't like the God stuff and said so. I never was shy. I'm going to borrow your water. <laughs> well, you see, I'm, I, I told you I wasn't shy. I'm not. But time went on, and I said to one of the guys at the meeting, I don't believe in God. He said, how about good orderly direction? Well, that didn't sound too bad. That wasn't too offensive. I'd go along with that. Good orderly direction in my life was all right. Didn't have to waste any term. They said, why don't you say the Lord's Prayer with us? Oh, I said, that's going too far. You know what the truth was? I had forgotten the Lord's Prayer. And I was a hard-shell Baptist raised in the Bible Belt. That's pretty bad. Uh, when you can't remember the Lord's Prayer. And I, but you understand, I didn't have any brain damage. You know that. I just wanted you to be sure about that. Uh, so, I went along with the good orderly direction. And I did learn the Lord's Prayer, and I did go to meetings. Oh, um, I didn't have any choice. They didn't say, dear, would you like to go to a meeting tonight? They said, come on, we're going to a meeting. I don't feel like it. Who asked you if you felt like it? Come on, put your clothes on. I don't want to. We'll put them on for you. Oh, no. <laughs> So I went to the meetings, and I went, and I went, and I went. And every time I hear some of you folks say why I had to go 20 miles to a meeting, my heart breaks for you. 60, 65 miles almost to every meeting. An hour's drive was nothing. We had the best meetings we had in the cars going and coming. Don't go in your car alone, load it up with drunks and go along and take your family with you because this is a family disease. It is not just your disease. It goes both ways and they need to go to open meetings and they need to go to their own closed meetings and you need to go to an all non-open meeting every once in a while yourself.
Because do you good. Help you too. I was going along, you know, being Mrs. AA, not believing anything, decided I would go back to Chicago and drink like a lady with my friends. I always wanted to be a lady. I don't think I'm going to make it, but I'm... (laughs) With Grambo staring down my... (laughs) But I always wanted to be a lady. And uh, I thought ladies drank, you know... And I never drank like that. I drank the jug uh, from the bottom. And uh, so I decided that I had uh, knew all about the 12 steps. And I was working by that time. And I had notified the hospital I wouldn't be back and was going to leave on Monday morning and not tell anybody. Had the ticket and everything. And I went to the South Orange meeting. By the way, all this time that my brother was sober, Lois and Bill used to spend the weekends in our house. And Bill's chief aim was to keep it simple. I said, how do you do this program, Bill? He said, don't drink, don't take those pills. Bill and I were in Towns Hospital at the same time, five different times. And he listened, and I threw the psychiatrist out of my room. Um, he said, don't take those pills. Go to meetings. And he hesitated a minute, and he said, and shut up. <laughs> Keep it simple. That was the idea. So uh, I had learned 12 steps, and that was enough. I'm going to keep it simple. But I had read that book, the big book, it was an early edition, uh, not very well written, very poorly written. I, any idiot could write a book better than that. Uh, this idiot hasn't been able to. Uh, this, this idiot threw it out the window, and uh, it went in the snow, and it came back on the night table. A very peculiar book that had legs. Uh, it went to the laundry in the dirty linen, and it came back. It even went in the garbage pail, came back a little greasy. And that night I came home from South Orange. There was that peculiar book on the end table. And if you don't think that the God of my understanding works in mysterious ways, I reached over and picked up the book. I hadn't touched it in weeks. And it fell open. The old volume, page 57, chapter on how it works. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. And I was following the path of destruction. And that word honest in that first part of the fifth chapter was obnoxious. It was about an inch high. And then I came to the 12 steps, and another coincidence, and incidentally, a coincidence comes when God wishes to remain anonymous, and the coincidence came when I changed the steps to the first person, 
I admit that I am powerless over alcohol and that my life is unmanageable. I'd been using the we on somebody else. The we was you, not me. And I went on through them that way this Sunday night. I'll never forget it. And I laid down the book on the end table, laid down and went to sleep. And I wakened in the next morning after the first decent night's sleep that I'd had in eight months. Because I had DTs by myself. I shook. I shivered for months. No detox. There wasn't any such thing there. And I awakened the next morning refreshed. And a miracle had happened. Because the desire to drink, the desire to drug, the desire to run away had been taken away. And from that day to this, it has never returned. Though I have gone through some terribly, terribly tough times in my life, the desire to drink never returned. And then I went to work on the program that I should have been working on long before. And you know, I'm glad I came in at a time when it was very simple because I didn't get things so complicated. Yes, I think we get God, church, and spirituality all mixed up. But they can be sorted out if you keep it simple a little bit at a time. You know, being brought up in the Baptist church, I thought prayer had to be extensive and complicated. And I came to realize that all I had to do was talk to the God of my understanding as I would talk to a dear friend because God is a friend. And as one young man said, he always loved God and he always revered God, but in AA, he came to like God. And when we come to like God, We have a friend, and we can talk to God, asking questions, and then get up off our knees and go to work. The old guy said, put some feet in them prayers. Do the work. God wants you to get up and do it yourself, because you have such great gratification when you have accomplished He hasn't taken that away from us, that great feeling, I can do it. And so I prayed for help. And then I got up and did what I was told. Willingly? No. No, not willingly, but I did it anyway. Um, I had been mixed up with church dogmas. That has nothing to do with spirituality. How you set your table for your God, I could care less. But be sure that you talk 
to your God at least once a day and maybe a whole lot oftener if the day is a tough one. And then don't forget to do that thing we call meditating. Shut your mouth and listen. Listen with a listening ear to what is being said to you that may come to you from most unusual places. You never know where the smartest thing is going to come that you've heard. The thing that has always bothered me is that people want to make this whole thing so complicated. They say, well, I haven't reached my bottom yet. Uh, bottom, Your bottom is the greatest uh, place because uh, when you get there, you can't go any lower and there's no place to go but up. And, uh, you know, when you get sick and tired of being sick and tired, you're ready. You're ready. And what your bottom is and what my bottom is are two different things. What have you been putting in my food that makes me thirsty? I'm suspicious of him, aren't you? Of course, life's never going to be free of trouble, and he's trouble. Shall I pick on him? Oh, that's good. That's good. Because he's got a smart woman behind him, you know. She'll put him together again. You know, we've been given the equipment to live, but AA teaches us how to use the equipment. Because we got so complicated with this education. You know, the over-educated idiots. I tell all my doctor friends that come to visit me, you know, I have a little place where you all come to visit. Um, uh, to leave their MD outside and come on in and put on their alcohol pants and everything will be under control. Uh, but a lot of you are getting sober. I heard a whole lot more getting sober being threatened with me, and that's a lot easier than having you. <laughs> there are too many intellectuals in the world anyway. Let's get down to some simple laughing, and laughing is the greatest thing in the world. Of course, you don't get well overnight. I'm sober two years, and I want you to know that I married a 50-year-old Roman Catholic Irish bachelor that came complete with aged mother as a package. <laughs> now, if you think that's sanity, I got news for you, because I'm a hard-shell Baptist, career and divorced, and I fit in that family like a bee in an anthill. Uh, but I loved that guy the day I married him, and I loved him the day he died, and I could have stuck a butcher knife through him and turned it around and watched him to bleed to death a hundred times in between and laughed in his face, and I'm sure he felt the same about me. Uh, you know, but let me tell you something. How often you say, well, if I was married to an alcoholic, it would be different. It is. It's worse. <laughs> Just be grateful if you aren't 
because you do, two people do not think alike. And let me tell you something, my friends. Men and women do not think alike. Thank God we'd be bored to death <laughs> if we all thought alike. And we don't. There isn't any doubt about that. And Tom went his way and did an awful lot of good in AA. But I want to tell you this as a warning, my friends. I think sometimes we don't pay too much attention to the drugs that come on the market, the new drugs. And um, one of Tom's AA friends wanted to give him some muscle relaxants for his back. He said, don't tell Jerry she's a nut on those things. And he took them, and he didn't tell me, and it helped his back. And the same friend had some new cough medicine. New. And he took it. Now, this man had been sober by that time 20 years. Mr. AA, Mr. Intergroup, Mr. Everything Else. He took the cough medicine, and three days later he was in the bar. And 17 months later, after being in the hospital 14 times, he bled to death of an esophageal hemorrhage. After being sober 20 years, he was activated by a little new medication. Be careful. Be careful. Use things and give things only when it's absolutely necessary. He taught people a lot of things in his life, and he taught them even more in his death. Because I was about ready to stop beating the drum so hard on drugs. I'll never stop. Of course, most of you know that I have stopped tobacco up at my place and I'm haven't got my throat cut came close I stopped salt I stopped sugar oh I stopped sex of course uh, <laughs> I want you to know that some old guy a doctor at Amazon cornered me and he said you're Usurping the rights of your patients taking away tobacco. You should at least have a smoking room. And I said, well, if I do, I'm going to have to have a coke snorting room, and I'm going to have to have a pill room, and an alcohol room, and doctor, do you think I should have a sex room? And he almost killed me. <laughs> One of these days, somebody's going to cut my throat. You know that, don't you? But that's the way it goes. But um, during the time that Tom was drinking... He became very violent. By this time, my spiritual life had come down to the simplest form of asking God in the morning for help to do His will and saying a simple thank you at night with a determination to try again if I were given another day. And at 80 years old, when you wake up in the morning and you can put your feet on the floor and you can open your eyes, honey, you're very fortunate. 
and to be able to be still working is greater. During the time that Tom was so violent, I was to find out whether I really had faith, because at that time I said, yeah, I've got faith, you know. When all of a sudden you find a loaded shotgun at your head, in the hands of a drunk man, and you have a big mouth like mine, you're in trouble. It couldn't be anything but a God who loves me that helped me keep my mouth shut. And 20 minutes later, he laid that loaded shotgun down and walked out, and I was never to see him alive again. If anybody could not believe in God, there's something very, very wrong with them. God has given me my standards of living. He doesn't write them out. But he has given me spirituality, which is a set of standards. And those standards are very simple things. In my inventory, which has to do with life, not alcoholism, I find that if I put honesty, honesty with me at the top of the list of standards, simple honesty, not in big things, but in little stinky things, it won't hurt. Nobody will know the sort of thing. I've got to be honest with me. Whether I'm honest with you doesn't make that much difference. But I cannot be honest with you unless I'm honest with me. Of course, I had to drop some of my fancy words like depression. You know what depression is? Unresolved discontent and you're too lazy to get up off your butt and do something about it. The kind of depression you and I have. It's just a lot of laziness is all it is. And uh, these are the things. Um, I thought I would never get wisdom. You know what wisdom is? Common sense. You've all got common sense. You don't stand out there with a mad dog chasing you, do you? Common sense developed to an uncommon degree. That's wisdom, my friend. Don't let these things get into the intellectual garbage. Don't get complacent. Don't get cocky. Look out for self-pity. Poor little old me, poor little old me, poor little old me a drink. You know. Forgetting to be grateful not for the big things, but for the little things. The greatest thing in the world is to have somebody come up to you and say, I heard you X number of years ago. And it made a difference in my life. How many people in the world outside of Alcoholics Anonymous have a chance like that? Do you realize that we are the most blessed people in this whole world? God gave us the disease. He didn't give it to some other people. And he's given us treatment, group therapy, whatever you want to call it, all over the world. I got lonesome in Nassau. About 30 years ago, called on the telephone, a little boy answered the telephone, I'm still trying to be, you know, proper. And I said, are your mother and daddy home? No, madam, they're out. Um, 
Have they gone to a meeting, you know, still being tactful? Do you have trouble, madam? Please to give me your telephone number. I said, no, I don't have trouble. Please give me your telephone number anyway. And five minutes later, those English people were in the lobby of that hotel in Nassau. Can any other disease do that? So you can be grateful for your disease. Don't forget your gratitude and say it can't happen to me because it can't. Look out for taking yourself too seriously and getting exhausted. That's the things that relapses are made of, and you doctors are famous for thinking you're Jack the Giant Killer. I'll tell you what. Anybody in this room that gets Jack the Giant Killer and works too hard and gets drunk gets me. (laughs) Remember that it does take time to grow and just try to grow a little bit each day. You don't have to be famous for your growth. Just do it a little bit at a time. And be careful what you say at meetings. You know, these closed meetings, there might be one sick person in the room that doesn't remember not to take it out. Talk about things but not details. Look out for the swinging doors and talk about yourself in terms that will make you know but others don't need to know. Use the slogans. Examine your motives every single day. Look at your motives. You can't, incidentally, if you don't take a full-scale written inventory once a year, You're missing half your life. It's the most wonderful thing to take an inventory written every year and a fifth step. You'd be surprised how little you change. (laughs) Change, my friends, and growth is very slow. You don't have to worry about getting all of the program. It's still here, and it still is, and I still find out some things about myself that I'm always surprised. I've had procrastination on the list as one of my bad points. I discovered this year it isn't so bad. If I'd just procrastinate on a few more things, I wouldn't get my feet in it so much. You know, sometimes you have to... uh, You... You have to look out for comparing. Who are you comparing to? What are you comparing to? Are you sure that you should compare to anything? And you learn to listen. And then you listen to learn. I think we have the worst time in the world learning to listen to what people are saying. Oh, yes, you get low. I always say I get so low I could walk under a snake with a high hat on and still have plenty of room left over. And then people laugh. And you know something? Laughter is the greatest healer of all time. Being able to laugh at yourself. I've got one wow of a temper. And I run to the bathroom and run cold water on my wrists. 
and then I have to laugh, you stupid idiot, there you go again. And go out, and yeah, I may come on strong, but then I'm not angry. And I passed this on to the head of a large oil company. And he looked at me like I'd just crawled out from under a stone. And about six months later, he came flying into my office and said, It works! It works! I said, What works? I had forgotten all about it. And he said, I ran cold water on my wrist. He said, But I had to go to the toilet. <laughs> so you have to watch out for that, too. Uh, You say, well, I can't talk to my God. Find a quiet place. What is quiet and what is attractive to you might not be attractive to me. My bedroom at home, alone, is a place that I like to talk to God. But you might like to walk in the garden or down the road or by a stream. I don't care. And when you talk to your God, you might ask him some specific questions that you'd like the answer to. And then remember to keep the channel open so he can get through and answer them. I asked a bishop one time, remember I'm Hardshell Baptist, but, uh, you know, I get mixed up with the hierarchy. Uh, and I said, do I have to go to church? He said, Jerry, it depends upon what you go to church for. He said, now if you go to church, say, thank you, Lord, it was a pretty good week, but now next week I want you to do so-and-so. Don't bother to go. He said, if you go to say thank you and to walk out the front door and be counted as one who believes, then you go on and go. And I asked him about praying on my knees. He said, no, you don't have to, but he said, be awful good exercise for your knees at your age. And he said, but don't forget to get up off your knees and do the work yourself. God isn't going to do it for you. You might ask your God every day, who can I help today? Not help me. Who can I help? We must set standards for ourselves in order to gauge. You know, if you're going to measure your height, you've got a yardstick, haven't you? If you're going to measure your spirituality, can you write down your standards of living can you measure at night on a scale of 1 to 10 how well you did and where you need to work? These are simple things, yes. But talk to God, but don't forget to listen. You know, uh, I think it's um, Father Fred that says you can't leave footprints in the sand of time by sitting on your butt. And who wants to leave butt prints in the sands of time. <laughs> Incidentally, those of you who know Father Fred, do say an extra little prayer for him that God will be easy on him. He's having a rough time right now. And I want very badly for him to have what is right. I don't know what is right for you, nor do I know what is right for me. But I can ask for guidance, and I can ask for help, and I can ask God to hold my hand. God has given me so many things. He's given me the gift of example and of acceptance. 
I've been a little short on that gift of patience. I think he's offered it to me, but I haven't taken it. I don't have that much patience, and I have to keep working on it. But he has given me the gift of understanding, the gift of experience, because in 40 years I've been allowed to do things that I never dreamed I could or would do. I never wanted to work in the alcohol field. Only idiots did that. But if you ever run across Marty Mann in the days of the early days of NCA, you don't say no to Marty any more than you said no to Bill Wilson. Between the two of them, they hooked me on that, and I never have been able to get off the hook. And I don't think I want to at this point, you know that? God has given me another gift, the gift of making mistakes. I have learned more from my mistakes than I ever have from my successes. And please, God, let me make some more, because I want to keep learning. He's given me the gift of faith, the kind of faith I had as a child. You know when you wanted prayed for a bicycle? I don't know whether any of you ever prayed for a bicycle, but I prayed so hard for a bicycle. And I got a pair of roller skates. You know, it took me about 30 seconds to think I won those roller skates in the first place. Whatever you got today, that's all you're going to get, honey. You better be satisfied with it. And you just uh, have that kind of faith because that faith is right. And he gives you the gift of peace and serenity and love. Freedom he has given me. Freedom from the compulsion to drink and drug. Freedom to be myself, because I was never comfortable in my own skin until I became an alcoholic and got sober. And you are my people. That's why I'm comfortable with you. That's why I want to do better than usual, because you are my loved ones. You are the people that I love. And I've been given the freedom to be wrong and be able to admit it without being ashamed. And I've been given the freedom to take risks that I want to try and not to fear failures. Fear and faith are very strange bedfellows. Oh, yes, I fear a mad dog and a hot fire, enough to run. But I have faith enough to know that the mad dog and the fire won't catch me if I'm trying And I've been given the freedom to ask for help and then take it or reject it. I don't have to take the help that's offered me. And I've been given the freedom to trust in God, the God of my understanding, not yours, mine. Because I do have a very special God who holds my hand. And I've been given the freedom to help others not expecting any reward or any praise. And that is the best thing. And I've been given the freedom to be honest by telling the truth. You know, that's a pretty hard thing to remember. It's getting late, and I want to finish up here, but I want you to go home, and I want you to plant a garden. A little late to plant a garden, isn't it? No, not this garden. I want you to plant five rows of peas. Preparedness, promptness, 
perseverance, politeness, and prayer. And next to them, I want you to put three rows of squash. We have to have squash. Not very good, but we have to have squash. Squash gossip. Squash unreasonable criticism. Squash indifference, particularly in ourselves. And next to the squash, we got to have five rows of lettuce. You've been eating a lot of lettuce. Have to have five rows. Let us be faithful. Let us be unselfish. Let us be loyal. Let us be truthful. And above all, let us love one another. And no garden is complete without turnips. Turnips, and I think five rows ought to be enough, don't you, of turnips? I don't really like them too much. But I like these. Turn up at meetings. A, Alanon, Alatine, ACOA, NA. But turn up at the meetings. Turn up with a smile on that puss of yours. Turn up with a new idea that you've carried from somebody. And turn up with determination. And turn up living a day at a time comfortably. And you know, as we go along on our way home, and all of you drive carefully, you know, God isn't sitting behind your wheel. He tries to get you to slow down, but he doesn't always do it. And not all the drunks are in here, and not all the cops are here either. Am I? But I, I do want to say that I did say a prayer for you today, and I know that the God of my understanding must have heard. I felt the answer in my heart, although he spoke no word. I didn't ask for wealth and fame, because I knew you wouldn't mind. I asked him to send treasures of a far more lasting kind. I asked that he'd be near you at the start of every new day to grant you health and his blessings and friends to share your way. I asked for happiness for you in all things great and small. But it was for his loving care I prayed for most of all. And so, as you go to bed tonight, maybe you'd like to say what I say every night. It's very simple. Because each night, I ask God to take my hand. It's better that way, I know. Because if he takes mine... Instead of mine taking his, I might get afraid and let go. God bless you. Miss Delaney, with our deepest love and respect, thank you. Godspeed until we meet again. We will close this 1987 IDAA, Lexington, Kentucky, and this meeting by joining hands as we are sung the Lord's Prayer. Mike H.
My name's Mike, and I'm an alcoholic. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Keep coming back.